Welcome back to Priorities EDU, EdScoop's podcast about the top issues and challenges facing higher education CIOs. Each episode, we're diving into the top priorities, hence the name, and challenges facing higher ed IT leaders as defined by Educause. For today's episode, we're talking about technology strategy and how institutions are developing the necessary enterprise IT architecture to keep pace with technological change. My guest today is Sam Seeger, and he's the CIO for Texas Tech University. Out in Lubbock, Texas, the university serves more than 30,000 students. I talked to Sam about the year that he had, but but also how he's evolved his strategy for the future. And because this episode is included in State Scoop and Ed Scoop's special report on digital services, we talked quite a bit about that too. It's a great talk. Here it is. This is my conversation with Texas Tech University CIO, Sam Seagram. So, so Sam, we're talking about technology strategy. You know, it's hard to have a, a true conversation about tech strategy in this given moment without acknowledging the year that it's been. But talk to me about your technology strategy, specifically when it comes to building the enterprise architecture to just support the digital services that you've had to deliver in the past year. We'll start from the, the back end piece of it is to, the baseline is always when you look at a pyramid in terms of uh, operational pieces in digital structure, the bottom part is the one that most people don't think about, which is making sure that we have a good infrastructure in terms of whether it's data outlet somewhere, Wi-Fi endpoints, the bandwidth uh, at every point of the way from buildings all the way out, uh, out to the internet. I think those pieces have been well-structured for us. We, uh, we did boost further by another 40% during the pandemic to make sure that there's sufficient bandwidth available for all of that. And then layered on top of that is basically our strategy of mix of having systems at the data centers and also a a significant number of our critical services that we moved over the years to cloud-based services and SaaS services and things like that. So during the pandemic, a lot of those things came to fruition where uh, it it panned out that our strategy was was the right strategy when uh, when everybody started working from home, even though the network at the university was not stressed because most of the connections now were coming from homes. A lot of our cloud strategy ended up helping us out because we, we naturally um, had to scale up a few things like licensing and things like that for whether it's an uh, RDP for remote access to critical services or VPN for critical services, since employees that access these services on a regular basis were working from home, we just needed to boost licenses in those areas. The regular tools, we are, you know, we're all 365 shops, so we have Microsoft Teams, Skype. From a Blackboard side, we have learning management solution uh, that also had video conferencing for students, but uh, we had a limited number of Zoom licenses and just to be on the safe side, we boosted our Zoom licenses also because uh, from an end user perspective, you know, that was one that folks were able to use without too much training. So uh, we we increased it from about a couple of hundred to over 2,000 plus licenses. So we had sufficient number of tools. We had sufficient number of uh, uh, bandwidth. And we also have a fair amount of integration that we started doing going forward. And we'll talk about that in the future side, some of the other things we're doing. But generally, we made sure that from a learning perspective and a teaching perspective and continuing to work perspective, that we created enough information for faculty, for staff, for students uh, in the instructional side of things, in the training side of things, and the how-tos that we had to create. So we anticipated a lot of what folks will face and we were rapidly putting that online as 
as each day, for instance, uh, how do you connect? Uh, we also had a lot of equipment that we acquired from different sources, uh, hundreds of laptops, uh, headsets, mobile hotspots, working with our strategic vendor partners, and started making sure that we had a, a, a repository of equipment available for the students, faculty, or staff who may not have uh, ability to remote connect and work properly with a sufficient bandwidth. So we was also set up a contactless uh, equipment checkout process, and that was very heavily used during the last year and a half by students to do classes, by faculty and staff to do their work and for teaching. Uh, we also retrofitted a fair number of classrooms, about five, uh, 50 to 60 classrooms that did not have the technology with uh, quick webcams and the ability to do synchronous teaching versus just asynchronous teaching so that if a faculty member really wanted to come down and use one of the classrooms and teach during the pandemic so that students on a remote basis will be able to do an interactive session with the professor. So those were the types of things on the infrastructure we were doing behind the scene, scaling up licenses and things like that. And, and from the operational side, we were also scaling up things. Uh, for instance, uh, we, we, we looked at DocuSign, Adobe Sign. We decided to get Do Adobe Sign so that a lot of the operational aspects on the administrative side, folks no longer had to worry about somebody needing to print something, sign something, scan something, and learn how to send it back. So we, we started creating tools with uh, Adobe Sign so folks could do authorization, escalation process, uh, those are the overheads that people don't really think about until you're not in an office trying to do it. So uh, we, we attacked it from all angles, from the teaching side, uh, how can we help faculty, from the student side, how can they consume it, from the operational side, how can we assist faculty members, and then from the research side, helping our vice president for research with his initiatives on helping folks in terms of what are the things they need to do from the research side of it. So. Uh, you know, this wasn't just a, a, a one deal that everybody had to go at. We had to put so many other things in place. We also had an infrastructure that we created and uh, ramped up rapidly to process PHI data so that once we started putting a, a tool in place for managing COVID-related work, that the contact tracers needed screening information, working with our health professionals, uh, who were working with our housing folks, student affairs folks, uh, and making sure that as students were coming in, there's an opportunity for them to do a self-screening, self-check, temperature test checks. All of those things were being handled uh, in a manner so that we were like the, the bridge between the providers and the consumers, and not just hardware tools, but also the software tools that was needed and the security that needed to go behind it and the training that needed to go along with that for people to consume these services in a new digitized environment. So there was a lot of moving parts. And I know for the, when we went into spring break last year in March, uh, our president extended spring break by one week. So it gave us two weeks to get everything we needed to do online. And in two weeks, a, a massive amount of work was done. I know my folks and I, we worked probably about 16, 18 hour days without weekends for about two to three weeks there to get this moving. And then uh, after that point, you know, we, we stepped back a little bit and it, it was then filling in the gaps of what we missed. 
and what were the things people needed. And then we started seeing things, you know, one thing was uh, we have a BSL-3 lab over here that was able to help the state of Texas in terms of testing facilities for coronavirus. And so in order to for them to do the testing, collect the samples and transmit to the state uh, health and human services area, we had to do all of those setups for them so they can do it in a very, very protected uh, and uh, high security environment for cybersecurity and transmit all of that health data to the state in a very, very secure environment in, a, in another remote facility. So there were a lot of special projects like that. We, uh, we had our folks on campus uh, come together through some faculty initiative where we basically looked at all of our 3D printers. And in the initial phase, when health uh, providers were lacking in PPEs, uh, in order to help them out, we, we tasked all of our 3D printers to start printing parts for face shields, for instance. And there were thousands that were done over a period of time. And we had folks during the pandemic lockdown who came back to work on those things. And so th- th- there was a lot of collaboration that happened from the infrastructure side, also working with our physical plant folks. We needed power in places. And, you know, when we were expanding our Wi-Fi infrastructure so that Students at home who don't have the connectivity or faculty and staff can drive to campus, park in parking lots, keep the safe distances, but at the same time have Wi-Fi capability in a parking lot, in their car, be able to do education, be able to do work. Uh, So there was a lot of these kinds of things that were going on. And then to keep this in front of people, we had to send regular communication telling them, you know, show uh, have a map they can go to online see where they can go, see where they can park, see where the infrastructure is, and you know, trying to trying to get all of these things, equipment checkup, infrastructure pieces, and keeping this going to about 40,000 students and 5,000 faculty staff and, and student employees. So it's a, it's a massive effort on campus, and the university was about, at any one time, having 40 to 50,000 people. It's like a small town that has to operate and move fast in a digitizing way, uh, that that was an intense experience there for a while. But it was it was also uh, in an environment where our own people have COVID-related issues at home, family members and things like that. So we had to work around that, make sure that we have multiple teams. And, and since we we're going back and forth, I broke my teams up into multiple teams so they never come in contact with each other. If one person was exposed, it, it probably just quarantine maybe three people, two people, instead of quarantining 15 or 20 people. So that helped keep us going on supporting the services and the infrastructures that we have in place. And I think it wasn't just an infrastructure piece. It was a strategy that we had to make sure that an operation that is 24 by 7, 365 continues to work. And part of that is the human element of it. And it is interesting, you know, we, we do an annual end of the year a review of all of our strategic efforts, and when we did that online this year, and one thing that we introduced was a was a two minute silence for the people that in our family, the IT family, the few hundred employees and their families, those were also victims of the pandemic, and we and we took a, a an informal head count of how many people died of COVID within our employee base. We had about fourteen deaths in our employee families, and so we recognized that at the end of the year, but. So that was the environment these folks worked in 
to make sure that everything that we put in place as a strategy continued to work according to the strategy and strategy that had to be adapted uh, through the years based uh, through the months as we needed to. And so it, you know, it is also a very satisfying experience in one sense, a very sad experience on the other hand that we were in this situation that people stepped up when they needed to, people helped when they needed to, and things worked like they needed to. So, uh, you know, that's that's what I can say about uh, having things planned out a little bit ahead and then being ready to be agile and change things as needed so that it works the way you really need it when the time comes. And I guess, you know, we the first question there, you, you talked a lot about what you did and what you were able to do during this moment of crisis, during this response effort. When you look forward a little bit, I mean, what else do you need at a strategic level to, to really ensure success in delivering services to your users? I think uh, there's probably two parts. One is things that we can do and then things that we need others to help us do. Uh, things, things we can do basically is probably more training uh, in terms of making sure that people are continuing to be able to use the tools effectively so that, you know, we may have put a lot of tools out there, but if insufficient number of people know how to use it properly, uh, you know, one of the things that we learned along the way was even in the initial few weeks and maybe even the few months that we had to give a fair amount of uh, uh, tips and education because uh, in terms of web, how to use a webcam. Uh, little little things that IT people take for granted, not everybody does know uh, automatically. It doesn't come to, you know, a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old, a 60-year-old, or even 30-year-olds. Uh, getting online and using a webcam uh, is sometimes was one of the first experiences they've done webcam video conferencing work. And so little glitches about, oh, I'm on mute. They can't hear me. Or well, why is my picture not coming on? Or why do I have a very fuzzy video? Stuff like that, that with the few of us who did it in the past didn't think about it because we knew enough on where to go on the setup to be able to change things or to to reduce the number of uh, concurrent applications that are eating up the bandwidth and things like that. Or people at home who'd, who'd never thought about things like, oh, I'm actually working, but my kids are playing video games or streaming, or my wife is watching Netflix, or my husband is actually playing uh, uh, another game, Nintendo game somewhere. So those were the types of things that people never thought about that during times like this, we had to actually give instructions, tips, telling people, turn this off, reduce this, expand this. Those little training that we, we, we did for folks, I think was one that was helpful. But now looking at a university environment, the training is just a different type of training where to give people, for instance, uh, okay, so we put Adobe Sign out there. How do you change your process? How do you use it? How do you use it effectively? It's not just applying a tool. The whole idea of digitization is not just applying a tool. It is also about changing the process that might have been in place for the previous 10, 15, 20 years that worked in a physical form to actually see how do you take this technology and how do you adapt it in a manner that makes life better for the end user, but also for the person who's doing it and working with them and learning with them as to what the process is so the, the training is not just an online training. A training is also about a two-way interactive process of, of working with a group, asking how they do things, so making suggestions, and together figuring out a way 
that here's a way the technology inserted into their process can, can make the process better for everyone. And, and that level of interaction and one-on-one pieces, I think, will be an ongoing process. I think doing the same thing with faculty members on the teaching side, what works best. And, and that's, that's less of an IT issue. We have a group that assists faculty members in using learning tools, uh, folks from our e-learning, our professional development groups. We work with them in partnership, but they are the ones who work directly with faculty because they're able to work with them in terms of the course design, course design for interactive teaching, online teaching, and folks like that need to then see, and we already started that process of uh, evaluating what tools worked well for faculty members in the teaching process. And we are now analyzing that data, what tools were they think that they they thought worked well for them. So that will give us an idea where to put more training, where to put more resources, what tools to scale up, and then looking at what all needs to be integrated so that the tools work seamlessly across applications from learning management systems to video conferencing tools to lecture capture systems to storage and retrieval. So how do you connect these things up with a single sign-on in a secure manner? So that's another area that we need to be working with. So these are the things that we can do internally. Externally, what we need help is really, and I'm I'm happy to see uh, some of the things that the administration is doing in the country as far as setting us up some funds for broadband access throughout the United States. Because if you look at a place like here in Texas, it's a very large state, and not everybody lives in a high-density environment, a city, to be able to get high bandwidth. A lot of folks are living in places where bandwidth is not easily attainable or at the right bandwidth speeds. And so, you know, I'll give you a quick example. For instance, when we gave out uh, digital mobile hotspots for people to check out, uh, one of them I heard through our provost office, our senior vice provost made a comment that that one of the girls that was uh, in a class, in order for her to participate in a class, even though she had a mobile hotspot, she actually had to climb uh, up a water tower on her property to be able to receive the signal enough for her to participate in an online class. So that tells you how resourceful students are, but it also says how sparse our bandwidth coverage is in parts of Texas. And so that's an area that I think, and, and, I'm, and I've seen uh, a lot of initiatives that has come out uh, from the federal government that will then go to the state that we are hoping that they'll benefit the students who live in these rural areas and faculty and staff that they now have a better infrastructure going forward that allows them to be able to participate in the learning process, teaching process or working process with the university community. So uh, it's still part of a infrastructure expansion, a lot more training, a lot more needing to see about helping people improve their processes and see what else do they need that we don't know about that level of interaction that we need to be putting in place and potentially more things about IOTs and things like that that we're working that might be helpful in the process.
on campus. Okay. Let's zoom out and 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 sort of take this whole conversation and and pull it all together, put all these things that we've talked about together. We talked about, you know, how you've responded, what you what you still need and what you need to to be even more effective. But given what you've learned over the past year, I mean, what does the future of your technology strategy look like and and how is it going to change services for your users? Some of the things that we tend to do here uh, at Texas Tech and, and I think it's part of our culture is is really about getting feedback from our community about what worked well for them, um, where where can we help them further. Uh, so those are the types of things we, we, we tend to do on an ongoing basis. And we're, gonna, we're already doing that during this process. So we get that feedback from the customers on that piece of it. So that will inform us a little bit about the strategy and the direction we need to go in. The good thing is uh, one of the biggest pieces, you know, two years back when we worked with folks like Gartner and things like that, when we talk about digitization, building up infrastructures, building up services, taking advantage of new technologies and things like that. The one piece that all of my colleagues and I have talked about that that is always the most difficult, two pieces maybe. One is... uh, senior level support from different groups, from different vice presidents, provosts, presidents, uh, deans. Uh, Some were always helpful. Some were probably too busy in other things to worry about technology. To them, it was just a given. I think this period, what is brought is a lot more of these folks, their mindset is different. They have seen values of how they can utilize technology. So the leadership perspective from different areas is one of the key elements I think that'll help us go forward moving because they have seen themselves about how technologies can be used for different things. And the second piece is the general employee's uh, culture in terms of using technology. So the, the two pieces in the earlier days that made it harder to get moving on the digitization curve uh, outside of the normal infrastructure skills and those kinds of things is the cultural aspect of employees and the leadership support to get in those directions. And I think those are the two things that's going to position us well going forward. I think beyond that, we need to be looking at in terms of once we've decided what what worked well and what doesn't, I think we, we talked a little bit about we've already started down the path, but I think we've got a lot more work to do going forward is what kind of APIs do we need? What are the federations that we need to make for single sign-ons? What are the security things we need to put in place for the integration of these tools and technologies going forward? How do we take advantage of more digital uh, advanced analytics, for instance, to help the students? You know, we use, uh, you know, you probably did this in one of the other podcasts about technologies being used for student recruitment, retention, student success, and things like that. Those are things that will help us going forward also is during this period, we might have learned a few more things. How can we work with our business partners who, who help us with the analytics pieces? And also on the security side of things, that is a constant uh, or a constant that is pretty much an increase now in terms of making sure that a lot more folks during this pandemic, I think one thing that we saw was there was a, lot, a quadrupling of cyber attacks on institutions of higher education during this period because a lot of people are working at home, everybody's online. So there's a lot more things we need to do to shore up our defenses in the security side, cybersecurity side. There has to be some upskilling of both employees and IT staff and security staff in, in the technologies to, to be able to be more productive going forward. 
And, and I think from a technology strategy, one of the things we need to be thinking about is the evolving technologies. How do you use things on the back end? Which providers and which business partners are better positioned to help us get there versus the traditional ones we've always used? So that's another area that we need to be looking at is business partners uh, who have kept up and who can keep us moving and not try to go back to a previous paradigm that may not be helpful, uh, I think, in the next five to 10 years. So the, the future really is about looking to the changing paradigms will be a big thing. Changing technology will be a big thing. Upskilling will be a big thing. Cybersecurity will be a big thing. And, and I think getting uh, all of us, faculty, staff, and students at the university moving forward with the right mindset I think is going to be the final piece that's going to help us get there better. A lot of big things on the horizon there, Sam. I appreciate the time. Uh, always a pleasure to chat with you and uh, look forward to catching up again soon. Yeah, it's very nice uh, visiting with you. It's been a while. You take care. That is all for our third episode of Priorities EDU. Thanks again to Sam Segrin for being a part of the show. The music from Priorities EDU is all available via Creative Commons. Our intro music is by Glass Boy. Our bumper music comes to you from The Insider. And our outro is by BOPD. Priorities EDU will be here for you this year to highlight all of the top IT issues facing higher ed CIOs now and into the future. I'm Jake Williams, the VP of Community and Content for EdScoop. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.